Welcome, everybody. And here we are, Hollywood Godfather podcast. It's my greatest pastime now. I love doing this show and reaching out to all of you. You've all been very loyal to us. So I welcome Pat Pittarelli, my co-writer. How you doing? Uh, how you doing? And our millennium, Megan Aran. Did I get Haran this time? Did I get you got it, it Haran, Haran, you got it. You were so close. Closest you've ever been. No, it was good. Hello, how are we doing tonight? Just when you're old and senile like me, (laughs) you try whatever you can. (laughs) All right. The mailbag. We are yes. Well, well, before we start, uh, one of our loyal supporters uh, for the podcast, Jeannie Raymond. Uh, her daughter uh, is getting married uh, this week. Her daughter's name is Hallie. Is marrying Bo. In fact, when this podcast airs, they will have been uh, married for about three days, and they said it would never last. Huh? <laughs> anyway, we would we would like to uh, to congratulate them. Have a happy life. And their mother's loyalty to our show. Congratulate the mother of the bride. There you go. Yeah. All right. So let's. All right. Yeah, like like Gianni said, this is going to be another uh, listeners' comments and questions episode, or the mailbag, as Gianni likes to call it. So yeah, we have a lot of questions to be answered, comments to be shared. So let's get to it. All right. First one we have is from KBD. KBD says, "What was Dean Martin's?" What was Dean Martin like towards the end after his son died? Miserable. I mean, he, I mean, his son, I don't know how, how many people know why he was so miserable because he convinced his son to go into the Air National Guard and not go into Vietnam and like so many other fathers didn't want their children to go. Only now in, you know, peacetime, he lost his son right down the block from where they lived. They, in fact, what's ironic, I don't know how many people know it, his son hit the same mountain that Sinatra's mother hit and died. Well, his son, so the people who don't know, was a, a, a pilot in the Air National Guard. Right. And, uh, he, and he was flying that night and crashed into a mountain. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah, I mean, yeah and, the, and the odds that it was both... Not the same mountain for both people. Oh, so weird. And the thing is, I, I've seen, I, towards the end, I made my business seem more often than not. He was on Cannon Drive, and there was a restaurant that I didn't want to give them recognition. Because what this guy was doing, using Dean the way he was during this depressed time, Dean would be dropped off there around 5 o'clock every day. And by this time, he was wearing glasses that looked like Coke bottles. That's how thick they were. And he had his particular table in the front, almost in the window, not that you could see through the window, his drapes, but he liked sitting there, it was away from most people. And by 6, 6.30, he'd be laying in his food. Oh man. And this idiot would allow people to take photographs of him. I mean, to pay homage to such a giant that way, I mean, 
I, I, I couldn't tell you what I wanted to do to the guy, but anyway. Moving on, Dean loved that kid and felt that he put him to death. Such a shame. All right, next is from Seth. You should love this one, I think. Seth says, Gianni, will you ever go on Michael Frenzies or Sammy the Bull's shows? Who are they? I don't know who they are. <laughs> Do they have cheap, what, TV shows? Podcasts. Oh. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Sounds boring to me. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I heard about I heard who they are. Man. <laughs> I don't know what the material could be. No, I will never go on those shows. Thank you. And they will never be here either. No. Okay, let's get the record straight. All right. Next is from Ismail. He says, Marilyn Monroe was killed by the government or by the Kennedy family? I had doubts. How about both? <laughs> Seeing as maybe the same thing. Yeah, how about RFK arranged the government to take her out through some friends? Yes, but that's all coming to a new chapter of all our lives. They're going to reverse that whole autopsy to, to be continued. Yeah, looking forward to that. And give her the respect she deserved. All right, next is from Brian. Brian says, Gianni, do you have any stories you could share about Cary Grant or Humphrey Bogart? Um, Cary Grant, I do, but I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> no, Bogart was, you know, by the time I got to know him, he was just, you know, so set in his ways. I'll give you one little tidbit that I, I found out very interesting. Bogart originally started the original Rat Pack in Beverly Hills. And Sinatra took it over. Did you, anybody know that out there? I did, yeah. Well, who, who was in it? At that time, it was actually Desi, Desi Lu, all those great actors of that time. And then Sinatra and Dean and brought it to a different level in Vegas. And that, they took it over. In fact, I have one picture of the mall at the co. I think we have it, Pat. You've seen it. With yeah. Sinatra all them sitting ringside at the Copacabana with Lauren Bacall. And now, I mean, that whole group was such strange group. I mean, they just swapped wives. They did anything they wanted. It was, L.A. was a different animal for me. Mm. All right. Next is from Aaron. Aaron says, Gianni, do you have a favorite type of pasta? Mine is rigatoni. Oh, I mean, a noodle itself. Yeah, That's I what like you put on it, man. I like a, a big noodle. I know that. I really like, I like rigatoni, actually. And, and that, I'm my, my big thing right now is stuffed shells. I got into this thing. I love them. I, I love just cooking them ahead and having them sit down so I can stay with my guests through the whole thing. and. Pre, 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 have it pre-cooked and ready to go. As you can see behind me, if anybody's watching this, my dining room does sit 16 people. <laughs> yeah, you have a nice dining room. A lot of power. All right. <laughs> All right, next is from Anthony. Anthony asks, what is the most popular, I mean, sorry, what is the most powerful mob family today? I don't know why I would know this, but it's still the Gambino family out of Sicily, where, where it originally came from. And that goes without question. 
Mm. Someone told me that. <laughs> All right. Next is from Mike. Mike says, Gianni, who in your life would you consider to be your best friend at the moment? At this very, very moment, I would have to say um, Steve Marangoff. Right behind him is Al Malnick. And they are truly mentors, financial advisors, advisors. And if you look in any of these gentlemen up, they are so successful. And uh, Steve is probably a newcomer, about 25 years. Al is over 60 years. So there they are. And always will be. All right. Next is from Gina. Patrick, any new Ray Yale novels in the works? I loved the first two. Oh, thank you. Uh, I've outlined one. And uh, I just, uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, those are two works of fiction. Uh, I write a lot of crime uh, nonfiction also, but I just completed a novel that I handed to my agent that is not a Ray Yale, uh, Yale book. It's called A Crowded Hour. That's the start of a new series, but uh, uh, Yale is coming up next. Keep on yeah, I'm definitely, Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that myself. That's what I do. <laughs> next is from Albi. Albi says, Gianni, are you familiar with Salvatore Raina? Raina? R-I-I-N-A. And where's he out of? Uh, let me do a quick. I think he's out of Sicily. How old is let he? Let me let me do a quick look. Italian mobster and chief of the Sicilian mafia. He was born in 1930 in Corleone, Italy, and died um, in 2017 in Parma, Italy. Looks like there's a whole Rina family. I don't. I'm not familiar with them at all. Salvatore Raina, Italian Mafia's boss of bosses. Okay. News to me, but that's great. That's why they call it a secret society. Gianni doesn't even know them. Yeah, hello. Yeah. Wow. All right, next is from Pete. Pete says, do you ever recall of the Mafia killing a police officer in a targeted murder, not collateral damage? Oh, yeah. Uh, just for the people who aren't aware of it, uh, the mafia has rules. And one of the rules are you don't kill cops. That said, in 1997, a police officer by the name of Ralph Dolls, D-O-L-S, uh, made uh, an unfortunate decision to marry the former wife of a mafia captain by the name of Cassis. And uh, this was his ex-wife, naturally, at, at the time, but uh, the, 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 this guy, Cassis, took exception to it and ordered him whacked. But uh, knowing that it's against the rules to kill a cop, he told the, uh, uh, the four people that were involved in the hit that this guy was a, a waiter in a Mexican restaurant. He didn't tell him he was a cop. <laughs> And they killed him in his. They killed him in his driveway. And this was a, a very well planned hit. This was a chase car was involved. A crash car was involved. Uh, a switch car was involved. Anyway, uh, they were caught and acquitted, all of them. Wow. Yeah. 
Lawyers, uh, I guess. The wife didn't. Uh, uh, the the wife of the cop who was killed refused to testify. Some other people refused to testify. Uh, they were acquitted, and after they were acquitted, the shooters explained how they did the hit because it's uh, double jeopardy. They couldn't get tried for it. And they explained what I just told you with the... They actually went out in public and... Yep, yep, they did. And, uh, well, they they did because they were pissed off at uh, Cassess for lying to them. You know, because they all said, if if we would have known this was a cop, we would never have done it. Uh, You know, you can say, you know, there can always be a stretch, like in the Godfather uh, uh, film. Uh, the uh, police captain. He's involved in criminality. He's involved with the family. The right. rules can be stretched there, but this guy was an innocent bystander. In fact, when they walked up to him to kill him, this cop was all smiles. Hey, guys, are you lost? Or what can I do for you? And they gunned him down right in his driveway. Wow. The only one in the, the, the history of the American mafia where a cop was targeted like that. But unfortunately, uh, the uh, shooters didn't know they were shooting a cop. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Next is from Eddie. Eddie says, for Pat, I'm a writer, just published my first short working on a novel. Is there a book you've reread more than once and why? Yeah, it's easy. Uh, Live, live, let me see if I can call this title. Live Like a Roman Empire, the writings of Marcus Aurelius. I've had to have read this I'm going to say 15 times, but it's probably more. Marcus Aurelius was the originator of a uh, something called Stoicism. Uh, He lived his life like a Stoic, and it's very involved. I can talk about it for hours, but I got involved in the uh, in the instruction of how to be a a Stoic and how to live that lifestyle. It basically boils down to you're the uh, you're responsible for what you do, and uh, there are there are certain rules. The basic ones being: don't give, don't care what anybody says about you. Take responsibility for everything you can control. If there are things that you cannot control, you have to rid them from your mind and don't pay attention. Very difficult to do because people like to worry. Anyway, Marcus Aurelius has been followed for thousands of years. Uh, heads of state. Soldiers, particularly, uh, follow his uh, uh, his writings, and I could read his stuff over and over again because it sounds like it was written last week, not thousands of years ago. And the guy uh, was spot on when it came to, I think, controlling your life and trying to live it as a stoic, understanding what you can do versus things you have absolutely no control over, and you should have nothing to do with it and try to rid your mind of it. Easiest. Philosophy, isn't it? Basically, yeah, it's a philosophy. Exactly. Well, the, those of you who are interested in it, uh, it's called Stoicism. If I could read, I'd read it. It's I tell you, <laughs> fascinating, fascinating stuff. I, I, we're only confused me at my age. Believe me. Uh, I don't think. I, think I mean, it's, it's, it's just cool. plainly written, like you're talking to a friend of yours. Yeah. I mean, just plain writing. And uh, I read it over and over and over again. I, and I continue to read. Good. All right. All right. Next is from Herman for Gianni. 
I'm sure most students of the mafia have been told that once in the mafia, you never get out other than by death. Still, I've heard and or read about made men who have left the life. For example, Michael Franzese, Joe Bonanno, and Frank Costello. Why did they get a pass? Well, first of all, you're you're talking in such generality. Uh, I I don't want to talk about anybody that's current and alive. But uh, Frank Costello moved on. They warned him. They didn't realize when Vito Genovese got out, I was living around that guy at that time. He was ready to get out of the five families in New York and move into the syndicate. So there's different reasons that you can get out if you were honorable, sick, you wanted to die and turn over the reins, which Carlo Gambino did. There's a perfect example. He gave it to Paul Castellano. That was the mistake. I mean, as far as John Gotti in the world would want to know, he wanted O'Neill, Del Croco, to do it. Because he was the underboss for so many years, and everybody thought he should have been that. I mean, you can, I mean, we can philosophize all you want. You don't know why certain people walked away and got away with walking away. I mean, there's people that didn't walk away. And uh, are living a life as uh, Sammy the Bull. I mean, nobody's trying to kill him. And he's walking the streets. He has a podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a different life now. I don't, thank God I'm not a part of it. I like the audience, I I read things and surmise why and what. Next. All right. Next (laughs) is from Stan. Stan says, I'm a Vietnam War historian who is researching William Woodridge, the first sergeant major of the army who was accused of organized crime corruption during the Vietnam way. Most of his career was with the 1st Infantry Division, and you've mentioned that you were assigned to the Big Red One during the war. Did you know Woolridge or have any information about the crimes he was accused of? Well, yeah, I was in the 1st Infantry Division. I was a machine gunner. During the, during the Vietnam War. William Woolrich was a career Army NCO, non-commissioned officer, sergeant, uh, et cetera, wasn't a lieutenant, et cetera. Uh, he spent m- most of his career in the 1st Infantry Division, fought in World War II, fought in Korea. Uh, he was a sergeant major. That's the highest enlisted rank you, you, can, you can make. That's three stripes up, three stripes, stripes down, with a star in the middle, the highest rank you can get as a, uh, as a non-commissioned officer. The, uh, the government decided to create this rank called Sergeant Major of the Army. There would be one. And they would serve a term. I don't know what it was. I think it was four years, but it really doesn't make a difference. After the four years, there'd be another Sergeant Major of the entire Army. Anyway, Woolrich goes to Vietnam. He's assigned to the 1st Infantry Division, as was I at that time. But we weren't in the same unit. I didn't know him. I just knew of him. Then he gets reassigned to Saigon to what they call MACV, Military Army Command Vietnam, which runs the war. So he was in charge of the PX, the post exchange. Oh, my God. An invitation, (laughs) if you would, to be a thief. Anyway, he decides that he's going to start importing delicacies, uh, lobster, caviar, steaks. I mean, nobody had any of that. So this was gold over there. He, uh, he became quite wealthy. He also became quite caught. They nabbed him. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, he was an army. He was a career army man. What did he know? But he saw dollar signs, and uh, he was he was forced out of, of the service. He got an honorable discharge. I mean, he did have an exemplary career up until the time he decided that uh, the uh, the army paycheck wasn't enough. But he didn't do any time. He got uh, censured, and he retired in disgrace. And he died in two thousand and twelve, I believe. But yeah, he was. He was, he, he, he was an organized criminal in, in, in Vietnam. He, he had, he had a family, he had a crew that were getting stuff off planes, distributing it, making a lot of money. Wow. That guy Who's buying it? Huh? Who was buying it? Who had that kind of money? Oh, there's plenty of money in Vietnam. All kinds of, uh, really? army officers, the, uh, uh, French who was still there. Uh, you couldn't get anything during the war. Very difficult. If, unless you. You had some kind of a, a, a connection stateside. This guy's a sergeant major of the army. He's the highest ranking NCO in, in, in the whole branch of the service. And he started, I tell you, it took, it took ingenuity to do this. To get oh. the, I think he operated there for two years before they got him. Let me ask you a question. Anybody ever estimate how much money he made? No, I can't find that. Uh, uh, I looked over the years. So I, I was thinking of doing a book on his life. There's not much on him. Uh, the army was very embarrassed by this. The first guy in that rank, he got a lot of publicity. He was on the cover of Time. He was on the television shows. He was everywhere. And now he does this and disgraces the army and his rank, and they try to keep it on the down low. So there's not much written about him. That was an interesting question. Right? Yes. All right. Next is from Mike. For Gianni, Mike says a book was just published about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz of I Love Lucy. There's supposed to be portions of the book that focus on their organized crime connections. Do you have any insight? Love the podcast. Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz had organized crime connections. The only people they could have been connected to is Mickey Cohen because they opened Desi Lou Productions and everything had to go through him. So... And the other guy after that, maybe in the book, is a guy called Joe DiCarlo, who was given a club to run by the mob called Pips, which Lucille Ball was out every night, every night playing backgammon. Big money in the place. Clint Eastwood, everybody played there. But Pips was a nightclub, and I never knew. I was, during this time, what year? Did they give me a year on this? No. Uh, no, there's a two. The, this book, uh, the first, there's two volumes of this book. Right? I was I was reading about it a few weeks ago. It just came out a few days ago. First volume was over 500 pages. Whoa. Second volume was supposed to be even bigger than that, and and a major portion of it, whatever that means, has to do with their connection to organized crime, both when they were actors, and specifically when they ran Desi Lu, which was the biggest. Yeah, that was a big thing. That produced television shows. Yeah. I'm interested in reading it myself. I'm going to order it and see what they have to say. Maybe we can do a show on it. Do a show on it, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Right. Moving on. All right. Next is from Iggy. Iggy says, I've heard stories over the years of mob bosses who have, quote, unquote, sold membership into the mafia. Any truth to these stories? Who knows? If you're a boss, you want to put somebody in your family? But the only way you're going to get in is obviously these guys can bring you in. If you're a big earner and they sell it to somebody saying, 
we want them in or whatever. A lot of guys want to be in this thing. Not, I, I, I mean, I was asked several times. I had no use to be, be in a family. I have my own family that I love and whatever. But no, there are, there are people. They love that life. I served even in Vegas when these wannabes would show up and just lose fortunes gambling with Sinatra and different mob guys just to say that they were hanging out, you know, hanging out with them. But, you know, don't know why. All right, next is from May. May says, Patrick, I'm Vietnamese, but was very young when my parents came to America after the war. I have no recollection of the Vietnamese culture or the war. Could you describe your feelings for the Vietnamese people and a personal experience interacting with them? I greatly admire the Vietnamese, uh, and it's gonna, you're going to think this odd, but particularly the North Vietnamese, who are our enemies at the time. But I have never seen people that have literally been fighting for thousands of years. They never give up. I mean, in this war, these, these peasants are fighting the most powerful army in the world. They have no artillery. They have no air force. And they would fight and continue to fight. That's why that war never ended. At the end, they were using 13-year-old kids, 10-year-old kids. And were, they kept on coming. We killed hundreds of thousands of them. And what was the end result? We gave up. No, the war went on for thousands of years. Not, they've been fighting for thousands of years. They fought the Chinese. Uh, uh, they fought the Japanese. They fought the French. They didn't stop fighting for literally thousands of years. They never stopped fighting. And they, they have a, a, a work ethic and a war ethic. Nothing stops these people. And as far as the Vietnamese that I had uh, uh, an interaction with, they were just, you know, considering what's going on around them, family members are dying. I mean, there's a, there's a war. You couldn't go anywhere in that country where the war didn't touch you. Uh, they, they were just great, gracious, kind, hospitable. I mean, if they invited you into their home, uh, you had to know the rules. And I, I found out the rules. For instance, you never face a Vietnamese head on. You always have to be on an angle. If, if you're if you're sitting down in their home, you don't sit like knee to knee or face to face. It's either you angle to the left, you're angle to the right. What's that about? Uh, it's just it's just tradition. Uh, picking your teeth after after a, a a meal in a Vietnamese home is considered the right thing to do. Oh, enjoyed the meal so much, and they just don't take a pick and pick. They hide it with one hand, and they pick their teeth with the other, and that's part of their tradition. My grandfather would love eating there. Uh, <laughs> and and it, it, it's also odd because things work in reverse. For example, I had a, an R&R that's a, what they call rest and recuperation. It's a three-day pass to Saigon to get away from whatever you're involved in. And uh, the city of Saigon is a designed city. The person who designed that city also designed Washington, D.C., so if you can find your way around Washington, D.C., you can find your way around Saigon because it's a clone. And uh, not too many people know that. But anyway, we went to a racetrack. It's, it's, a, it's a circle circle form, I remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It goes from the center in concentric circles. Okay. I, I went to this track, 
some Vietnamese hooker took me. I mean, I even know where the racetrack was. But anyway, the horses go into the gate. Uh, a Japanese hooker? Vietnamese. Did you say that? They're all over the place. I mean, but well, there's soldiers, there's hookers. But anyway, she takes me. She takes me to the track. The horses go into the gate, and somebody yells in Vietnamese, and they're off. So I'm looking for these. Where, where are the friggin' horses? They run in the opposite direction. They don't run uh, counterclockwise. They, they don't run counterclockwise. They run clockwise. But I'm looking for these horses to come out of the gate, and they're running the other way. Also, the the water taps are reversed. And that could be embarrassing when you go to, to, to run cold water and it's and it's it's boiling hot. You stick your hands under it. My God. Horses are reversed. But anyway, getting back to the people, they're just very nice. They're wonderful. Sounds thrilling. I'm glad I missed oh, yeah. it. It's, it's, it's an experience, put it that way. Yeah. Wow. All right. Next is from Teresa. Teresa says, Gianni, were there many deleted scenes from The Godfather? If so, what kind of stuff did we not get to see? I had no idea why it was deleted. Well, you would know that if you were the director and the editor. I'm sure there's a lot of scenes that were cut out. The film was too long. It was three hours. We're about to see, my understanding, in the 50th anniversary, March 5th, 2022, we're about to see 16 to 17 additional new scenes. So I'll be anxious to see that. How many scenes can you recall that you were in that got cut? I know of three, and they said they were in this, so I'm going to be very interesting to see those three. <laughs> yeah, right. It's wild. You can't say it if I'm sitting with you, though. <laughs> it's from yeah. frontal nudity. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Maybe, I'll be skip Maybe I'll be skipping that viewing then. <laughs> Next is from James. James says, Gianni, is there anybody that you haven't met during your lifetime that you would like to? Hmm. Good question. Who would I like to meet? Not really. I mean, if I really wanted to meet somebody, I'd go find them and meet them. But I'm really not curious that way. I'm just so occupied right now with so many things. I, there's nobody I could say that if I wanted to meet him, I, I, I made it my business. I met him. And I'm not really in, enamored with any newcomers. You know, I'm not tripping over to see any of the, you know, the new stuff. Right. Well, that's a big accomplishment to be able to say that. Yeah. Well, I've been around. Yeah, right. All right. Next is from Dean. Dean says, thanks for everything you guys do. Love the podcast and the book. Can't wait for the second. I have a million questions, but I got to ask, what do you think happened to Sam Cooke? The, the singer? You shot see. Well, so, yeah, singer. Killed by his father, no? No, that, that was Marvin Gaye. Oh, Marvin Gaye, all right. Marvin Gaye got killed by his father. What happened to Sam Cooke? I don't know. Let's see what Wikipedia says. We can answer it. Death, he was killed. Oh, I don't think they know exactly. He was killed at a hotel, a motel in Los Angeles. Answering separate reports of a shooting and a kidnapping at the motel, police found Cook's corpse. He had sustained a gunshot wound to the chest, which was later determined to have pierced his heart. 
The motel's manager, Bertha Franklin, claimed to have shot him in self-defense. Her account was immediately disputed by Cook's acquaintances. I mean, the whole story goes on for a while, but. I didn't know. He, well, I, first of all, I didn't know how popular he was. And oh, he was real popular. Uh, was he big and popular? Sam? Yeah, in the 60s, yeah. yeah. Early 70s, I think. Well, we don't know. So we'll have to. Well, I don't even know why we'd want to research that. <laughs> well, to answer all our fans' questions. Yeah. At least answer it for people who didn't know about it at all. Obviously, we don't have any inside information other than what's on the internet. Next is from Lena. Lena says, Gianni, what has been one of your most memorable interview experiences? That I gave or I was asked? Probably yes. that you were appearing on. Most interesting. Is that what you said? David, right? Most memorable. Most memorable, okay. Would it be Patrick McDavid? Yeah, that's current, recently. Probably when I just started out, you know, Merv Griffin and all those big stars were constantly asking me. And with my ego, I think, you know, I was in aura of being able to do all these shows. And Mike Pat said, Patrick Bed David, Mike, this, that, that blew me away that he came here and spent so much time with me. Flew in from Dallas with an old camera crew. And we spent hours together and we built a great friendship, actually. Smart man. Yeah, absolutely. All right. On similar lines, Mark asks, Gianni and Pat, who would you say is your favorite guest you've had on the show so far, and who is someone you'd like to have on in the future? I don't know. I rather like the... And we, we had so many really guests, but Mark Shaw, I admired the most. Well, he, he's, he's a writer I've always admired, but his work ethic and his ability to research are second to none. And I, uh, you know, we were asking him questions, but I was attending that podcast as a fan. I mean, I, it's just a great writer, and, and uh, I, I admire the guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Johnny? I mean, it's so hard to put us in a position like that, because we've had such great friends who are big performers, and they've been very nice to come on. I mean, we had... That's 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 really a tough one. Yeah, that's like that's like asking who's your favorite kid. Yeah, hello. No, yeah, well, Lanka was great. I mean, they were all good. I mean, we've never had a dud. That's for sure. I mean, you know, I, I, there's there's so many categories we touched on, and there was so many grades from each category. So I, I couldn't pinpoint one actually. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I think I think it would be tough. How about you, Megan? I mean, I agree with you guys. It's every guest for me has been somebody, you know, that I would never come across in my life. Would it not be for the two of you guys? So I really can't narrow it down. I know one of my most pleasant experiences, even after we were done recording, was with George Gallo. You know, he called me after to say how much of a great time he had, which I thought was a very nice personal touch. So I would say between George Gallo and, and Chaz Palminteri, obviously I lived in the Bronx for five years next to a mural of him. So that was kind of cool for me too. <laughs> Your, your, your career with him is going to carry on. 
Yeah, I hope so. He's doing three episodes of, of the 10-hour miniseries. Yeah, I can't wait for that. All right, next is from Teresa. Teresa says, Gianni, have you ever known Julie Andrews? And if so, how well did you know her and what is she like? I got to know Julie Andrews through her husband, who, of a, a kid that I helped raise, Jeffrey Auerbach, went on to go way beyond Blake Edwards, if I could actually say that. So when they had offices at 20th Century Fox, I saw them all the time. That, I mean, who would ever think that Johnny Russo knows Julie Andrews? <laughs> and Blake Edwards was a husband, great producer. Right. He really, I love her. But he really took care of this kid, Jeffrey Auerbach, who I, I've known as, as a young man. In fact, it's, it's ironically talking about this. This will shake both of you and our listening audience. Jeffrey Auerbach is working on the documentary of The Godfather. Oh, no way. <laughs> that's how, how it all connects. Information. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You'll probably get fired once this airs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No. All right, before we move on, I think we should take a quick commercial break and then yeah. have the rest of our questions. All right, we'll be right back. Our second sponsor tonight is very close to me personally because you know how I love to dress. La Cosa Mia will be coming soon. This is just a teaser. Each week we'll be bringing you more ways to get in touch once their website is up. This line of clothing is from all over the world and I'm sure you'll want to wear it. All right, we're back. All right, moving right along. The next question is from Danny. Danny says, Gianni, Vegas, NYC, or Beverly Hills, where have you had the best times in your life? Oh, my God. Yes. New York City. My childhood, man. And back here again. I mean, I, I did 30 years, which sounds like a lot, but I didn't do 30 years straight in Vegas. I got there in 59 left in 89 but i was doing two or three days a week there no i mean to me there's no city like new york city never will be yeah i think you're right about that yeah all right next is from ward ward says joe kennedy senior had a reputation for being anti-semitic i was surprised that ted kennedy told david nassau joe k biographer that he knew his father was not. Nassau did concede that Joe Kay wanted the Hollywood Jews to shut up about Hitler to prevent an outbreak of violence against U.S. Jews if they were seen to cause U.S. entry into World War II. You also may know the Kennedys deny any Joe Kay bootlegging too. Nassau claimed the only half-so-so source he could find was a book published in 2012 to support Joe Kay's mob connection was a mob spot bartender. I didn't know Frank Costello was a bartender, so you tended a bar at State Street, too, oh. I guess, because both of you are reputed sources of bootlegger Joe. And Patrick, Michael Franzese bartended, too, both having sources for the story. Back to main theme, what did Meyer Lansky, Hyman Larner say about Joe K to you? Did they hate him? They didn't at first. They did at the end because he didn't keep his word to getting his son president. So I don't know who's writ wrote that myth book. Jesus. 
I, sure. Joe Kennedy, historically, Joe Kennedy was an isolationist. Didn't want us involved in World War II. But he wasn't alone. You know, I mean, there were quite a few isolationists. I mean, if it wasn't for Pearl Harbor, um, he wouldn't have gotten involved. Who knows? But yeah, he just didn't want us involved in the war. As far as being uh, anti-Semitic, I've heard rumors. You hear rumors about a lot of people. Yeah. Right. Write a book and deny him being around the mob or bootlegging Jesus. Hmm. That is a myth. <laughs> All right. Also from Ward. Ward says, Mr. Ratner on your show said Lansky claimed Joe K was bootlegging with the Bronfmans, Bronfmans, Jews. The war was before your time, but do you think Joe K was a true Nazi sympathizer or just a loyal American that wanted to keep the U.S. out of war as so many did, disgusted by the way World War I turned out? Maybe Lansky would not talk about such stuff to a kid like you, but whatever you might, whatever you might have would be of interest. He would never talk to me about that kind of stuff. First of all, I didn't have that kind of relationship. I was a messenger right till the end. He only told me what he needed to tell me to tell somebody else. And, um, you know, when we start to think or try to think of how someone is motivated or what their thoughts are, who can say anything about anybody? You know, they're climbing their head. I mean, these are all assumptions, basically. And finally, Ward says, does your info support that Joe K was, in fact, anti-Semitic? What is with this kid in anti-Semitic? What, what, what There's been we... rumors about, about Kennedy for years. The third question about it. Able to prove anything. I mean, he didn't actively support Hitler. He may have wanted to keep us out of the war, but I don't think him and uh, uh, Adolf exchanged phone calls on Fridays. You know, I mean, it's... Nobody knows. Am I wrong? Is just the third question addressing the same thing? Second question. I think he's just, I think it's just a conclusion of, you know, basically, what are your thoughts given all this information? He's given us no information. He's asked us three different questions. There's no information. There's no fact that he's saying. The, the, the Kennedys have been written about more than any other family in American history, and no one has been able to answer that question. Right, so there you go. <laughs> we can't either. <laughs> oh, we don't even understand the question. <laughs> Ward, what what are you doing? Where where are you right now, Ward? Does it say where we, this was sent from? Where? A certain no. time in Nuremberg. I was just going to say. <laughs> you know, <more> sort of Okay. All right. Next is from Marsha. Marsha says, my dad was a police officer in New York and would tell me about mob hangouts in Manhattan, the names of which I've forgotten. Do you recall any mob hangouts? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Where do we start? You first. Oh, Jesus. What year is she talking about? Any any year. Oh. Well, I mean, then every nightclub in New York. It's all the cool okay. family we're with. The West Side. The ones... The ones I'm familiar with that I've spent time in, uh, the main one was the Beef East, right out on the Manhattan side of the Midtown Tunnel. Uh, I had a lot of experiences in there. One of them, I lost my gun in the place, but I've told that story numerous times. The uh, Peppermint Lounge. Oh, my God. When that was in, well, they owned it. Alibaba. Alibaba, that was O'Neill's joint. Yeah, on the, uh, that was on the uh, Manhattan end of the 59th Street Bridge. It was a famous hit in there. I was there the day before 
the day they hit this guy, they called him Rabbit. I, I don't remember what his real name was, but they chased him under the piano uh, and blew him away under the piano in, in a packed bar. No one saw anything. Yeah. Well, that was O'Neill's club. I and mean, it was a club you can mention. I mean, it's, it's crazy. We're all mob guys. We just talked about that. A show. It was an, it was an Italian restaurant also uh, on uh, yeah. Avenue and 60, 62nd Street called Il Caminetto. Oh, my God. Jesus. Yeah. Go there mostly every Saturday night. And there wasn't a Saturday night that passed that you didn't see somebody. John Gotti liked the place. He was there a lot. It's a block away from where I live right now. There you go. Yeah. So this, I mean, this is, you know, so many places for mob hangout. Craziness. Yeah. That's All right. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Okay. Last one for tonight is from Amanda. Amanda says, Johnny and Pat, if you had to choose, what would you say is your favorite song of all time? Song? Could mm-hmm. even begin. Wow. Who knows? I, I can't even think. I mean, it, it, if I knew that question ahead of time, I, I could think a few hours and come up with a title. But I mean, it's so many. I mean, it's. I think the song we all forgot is the song that should be all ours, the national anthem. Good answer. And who knows the national anthem? We only know the first stanza of it. Yeah. It's a great question, but it requires a lot of thought because a lot of songs mean different things to us. I mean, we can hear a song and we tear up. We can hear a song and we can laugh. I mean, there's so many different emotions oh, that go into favorite songs. I have to, but it's a good question. Our listeners yeah. got great questions. They're getting more in-depth. Like, yeah. you know, I have to... Go back to answer some of these. You people have to get out more. Good questions. All right. Well, another great show. And I thank you all. Keep tuning in. Keep sending the cards and letters and reviews. That's most important to us. And we'll have another show for you next Wednesday. Well, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, guys. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. Or when it seems your friends desert you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. I'll be around
Hi, everyone. I want you to tune into Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you hear your podcasts. Remember, we put up a new show every Wednesday night. Special guests, special surprises constantly, and you can get involved. Hollywood Godfather podcast.